Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Muslim Centric Podcast where we hope to educate, inspire and entertain on issues relevant to Muslim life and I'm your host Aman. This week's episode is understandably a sensitive one and it may be difficult to listen to for some people. Therefore please do look after yourself and make sure you reach out for help and support if you're listening to this episode and it evokes some difficult emotions and feelings. The topic is childhood abuse and we felt it was an important issue to discuss. The Muslim community is not immune to being affected by physical, emotional and sexual childhood abuse and it's imperative we understand, recognise and deal with abuse when it happens. For too long it's been brushed under the carpet as it has been done in wider society. In this episode of Cradle to the Grave we discussed various topics with Sheikh Amr including speaking up and addressing the problem of abuse, how to actually deal with abuse when it happens in religious circles and institutions, how to cope as an adult when you've been abused as a child, and thinking about protecting our young ones and future generations. We're really fortunate to have been joined by Sister Samia, who's an educational psychologist, and she shares her professional expertise on the topic, as well as Sheikh Amr, who has a wide breadth of knowledge. The series was originally broadcast in Radio Ramadan Glasgow in Ramadan 2017, and you can find out more about them on their website www.rr365.co.uk. Now, I know the sound quality from the recording is not the best, but it was a useful discussion and one which I thought we should share. The Cradle to the Grave series is one that we've been covering for several weeks, and we've got a few more episodes which I'd like to share with you. And we've covered topics such as marriage, and that includes finding a spouse, but also when marriage goes wrong or there's difficulties, and the issues of forced marriage, domestic abuse, and divorce. We've also discussed parenting and we'll also cover topics on dealing with elderly and old age and also death and a bereavement. If you are benefiting from the podcast, please do rate, review, like and share it with the people around you and also on the podcast provider platform so it helps other people find the podcast. And remember, you can follow us on social media and we'd welcome any comments or suggestions. I hope you do benefit from this episode and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum and welcome. You're listening to Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM. This is the Cradle to the Grave with Sheikh Amr Jamil show every weekend. And the idea is to discuss a lot of pertinent issues that are affecting many stages of our life. So Sheikh, assalamu alaikum and welcome. Assalamu alaikum. It's been a busy day, I know. You were at this uh, Gamsa Iftar earlier on. Yes. Uh, which had a very good turnout and a lot of students there. And so. Alhamdulillah, it's good to see... Um, the next generation, you know, active, doing things, good projects, they're raising money for charity and stuff. It's, it's good to see young people involved in that because um, when people are young, they've got a lot of energy, a lot of passion, and if it's not directed, it just goes into the wrong things. So, alhamdulillah, they're doing a good job. Fantastic. And so I guess today's show was, as I mentioned at the end of last show, was kind of think about changing the topic and we did eventually change it to tonight's topic which is a very sensitive topic and the whole idea of this aspect of childhood abuse this can include obviously sexual abuse physical abuse neglect and I guess what we'd like to focus on is various aspects both not so much perhaps you know we'll probably perhaps touch up on these issues that are affecting young people now but really also focusing a lot on adults that have experienced it and the traumas and the difficulties they face in later life. And it's a very sensitive topic. So again, similar to yesterday's topic, which we talked about, about forced marriages, about domestic violence, there'll be you know a number of people that are experiencing or have experienced some of these aspects of abuse. And really one of the important things is to be able to protect yourself and look after yourself. Because some of the issues we might talk about, you know, it might touch a raw nerve. It might open up a whole Pandora's box for you. And I think what we would really encourage you is to really make sure you, you've got ways of managing your own emotions. And, and, and if you are struggling with anything that's raised today, you know, make sure you get some help, whether that's through the, the GP, NHS, family, friends or specialist support agencies. So that's really important to say from, say from the outset because it isn't a very easy topic. But Sheikh, I guess... On, on, you know, when we discussed it yesterday, and it was, I was a bit hesitant because it's not a particularly comfortable t- topic to talk about. But I guess from my feeling, and you know, I, I work as a doctor and as a psychiatrist, and these are issues that many of my patients, you know, have experienced. And I know it's a lot of, you know, a number of cases that you deal with 
you've come across a lot of this but I guess it's that tipping point is it worth discussing these issues or not and I think um, I think certainly it is and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about that but just to, to mention to the listeners that you can send us your messages either on via our Facebook uh, page but also if you go to our Facebook post there's a link um, which is to a, another form which allows you to submit your experiences and any questions anonymously. And a number of people have been doing that since yesterday, and I've actually been quite surprised with the number of people contacting us. And so please, you know, do engage with us over the show. We're here till about 2 a.m. But Sheikh, you know, should we be talking about this issue on the balance of it's not a comfortable issue that, you know, we don't want to create more harm really, isn't it, by talking about these issues? But in your opinion, would you agree that really these issues are really important to to talk about in terms of for the community? I think that, Alhamdulillah, the short answer is yes, because it's happening. And if it's even if it happens to one person, it's a big it's a big deal. And um, like I said yesterday on yesterday's show about abuse, we always have to side with the victim uh, and not the abusers. So I mean, we have to. I mean, I remember there was a, a situation. I was down in Bolton, and um, there was a case. People asked my advice. There's a case, and um, there was a, a case of abuse. Um, however, the the, the perpetrator, um, I think, was close to or had influence in, in the local mosque or something, and so they were kind of on his side more than the the victim side. And uh, it'd been proven through police, and you know they say, oh, the police are making it up or this or that or to cover their their back. And I said, look, end of the day, our our uh, obligation, Allah's going to ask us on the day of judgment in that, about that situation, who did, which side were we on? And you always have to be on the side of the, of, of the truth. You always have to be on the side of justice. You always have to be on the side of um, doing the right thing and not on the wrong, on the wrong side because oppression, uh, there's li- different levels and degrees of oppression. Most people tend to think... Uh, when you think of oppressors, they think of uh, world leaders or people who have got a lot of people under their command. But you can be an oppressor and you have nobody under your, your leadership apart from your own family. There's a hadith talks about that on the Day of Judgment, the, the jibbarin, the, the tyrants of this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make them the size of atoms, like really tiny, and they'll, and they'll get people to walk over them uh, as a recompense. And in, I remember our teacher was saying that that doesn't just mean the, the world leaders. That means even a man who only, the only people he had in charge of him was his family, but he oppressed them and he abused them. He will be resurrected with those tyrants. So I think people have to really realise that even small scale abuse um, is unacceptable. And when you become aware of it, it becomes a duty, an Islamic duty for you to do something about it and to uh, stop the abuse from happening. And we've also got a guest joining us on the phone because it is quite a specialist topic. It's a sister, Samia Farooq. As-salamu alaykum. Well, thank you so much, Sister Samia, for joining us. Um, I know it's very late. Um, it's not at all. We really appreciate it, inshallah. And hopefully we'll get your input for some part of the programme. Now, can you firstly just tell the listeners a bit about yourself and why this topic is very relevant to, I guess, what you do in your day-to-day practice? Yep, absolutely. So I'm an educational psychologist. Um, I'm practicing, I work for a local authority. Um, in terms of what I do and how it impacts on um, what I really do is I work mainly with children who have a range of what we would describe as additional support needs. So that can range from things like learning difficulties to autism to social, emotional kind of behavioural difficulties. But within that, and I'm sure we're going to go on and talk about this, um, we know that child abuse impacts um, those, of our, uh, those of our children who are more vulnerable. And as a result of that, I work with quite a lot of children who are either um, on the receiving end of abuse or living in environments where there's high level of domestic abuse, um, you know, sexual violence, or they may have been subject to sexual violence themselves. So quite a lot of what I do um, on my day-to-day work, I think quite a lot of it involves child abuse at some level. Now, um, Sheikh, obviously I think a lot of the folks of today's show, I guess it's not going to be much of a discussion saying is it allowed or not really, you know, in terms of 
Islamically and legally, etc. You know, clearly, you know, it's it's something which is prohibited and it's not allowed legally and also within the Islamic context. So a lot of the focus, I guess, would be useful to look at what are the signs, how do you identify people that are being abused, etc. But also how we can cope, but especially from the spiritual aspect as well. How does somebody deal with you know having gone through some trauma like this? So just on the off shake concisely, I guess. I'm assuming there's not much difference to say it's not worth debating a lot, you know, is this are there some circumstances or something like this is permissible or acceptable in any No, it's never form. it's never acceptable. So that's a given. So that's the, I guess the baseline that we're seeing from this discussion. So sister Samia, can you just tell us a bit from your experience from the professional perspective and um, when we talk about childhood abuse um, what do we mean by that and what are the different forms of abuse that um, a child could experience? Okay, absolutely. I think it might be helpful to, I think, start off with kind of, I suppose, um, you know, at a very basic level, kind of discussing what is abuse and kind of very, very basically it's any action that intentionally harms or injures another person. So within that, that can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be sexual, it can be financial, any of these things. Within that, and I noticed you kind of touched upon sexual abuse, um, you know, you've mentioned it a few times, um, obviously sexual abuse sits within that, um, and I think the nature of it is extremely traumatic, um, and it can have kind of lifelong devastating um, impact for a lot of our children and young people, and I think that's why it's given quite a lot of focus, because, you know, we, we need to be having a discussion about how to prevent it. So what is sexual abuse? So it's basically... I mean, I'll refer obviously to children and young people, but it would obviously apply to kind of adults as well. But it's when abuse is forced, um, sorry, it's when when a young child or young person, sorry, is forced or persuaded to take part in a sexual activity. Um, It doesn't have to always be physical. Um, It kind of essentially, there's two categories. There's contact abuse, so that is basically where it involves touching, so that can be kind of abusive, unwanted touching. There's also non-contact abuse, which is basically non-touching, that things like grooming, exploitation, um, flashing, asking children to send pictures or, or taking um, pictures of children. So all of these, I suppose, really fall within the category of abuse. Um, I, I could talk for hours as yeah. to you know what each category is and what it means if you're looking for an overview or a snapshot. That's, that's no, what I would describe as abuse. No, that's so that's been really helpful. So we've got sexual abuse. You mentioned there's other aspects in terms of physical abuse and neglect. Yeah. Just tell us briefly, concisely, a bit about both of these aspects. Yeah. So um, a lot of the children, some of the children I work with. Um, if you were to walk into the house, um, you have parents who are feeding and clothing the child, so for all intents and purposes they're cared for, but there's a lot of kind of emotional neglect, and they, they, they might not be nurturing, they might be saying things which are quite damaging to a child um, or young person, and over time that can obviously have quite devastating long-term impact for children. There's also physical abuse, and I don't think that needs an, an explanation, but where it's basically where there's physical chastisement, um, you know, to the point where it's damaging. In amongst all that, what you also have is um, we have a lot of children who, for example, the parents uh, or, or one parent might not be hurting the child physically, but if there's a lot of domestic violence, any of these things, children even being in that environment or in the house or on the premises, or witnessing that if, for example, the father is abusing the mother, that can also have quite damaging, uh, quite a damaging impact for the children. Mm. So and, we would treat that mm. as abuse as well. That's really helpful. And just, yeah. I mean, just uh, it might seem a very basic question, but when we're saying childhood uh, or child abuse, what age are we talking about? Are we talking about anyone under 18? Yeah, yeah, pretty much anyone under 18. Because yeah. um, um, that would be from 0 to 18, really. Um, you know, it would be young people who we would consider would you know don't have a responsibility to keep themselves safe. We as a, we as an ad, we as adults have a responsibility towards them to make sure they are safe and nurtured and healthy and happy. So anyone that would fall within that category. And what's your sense um, in terms of this issue? Do you think it's any different within sort of the the Muslim or the BME sort of community this issue compared to the wider population in terms of 
is it more or less of a problem or do you think it presents in a different way or do you think it's actually a rife problem that's just not addressed or is it people are making a mountain of a molehill? Do you have any sense of, for the Muslim community, where does this aspect fit in compared to the you know wider society where Absolutely. it exists? So I work at the south side of Glasgow, so as you'll know, that was the high population um, in terms of Muslim community. Um, kind of anecdotally, in terms of my experience, what is interesting is that I haven't come across um, high numbers of um, Muslims who are experiencing kind of you know, children, I would say, are either, you know, we're suspecting there might be sexual abuse going on or, you know, it's been identified that it's already happened. However, what a lot of the literature and what experience and what a lot of reports and information of them inquiries, uh, I, my sense of it, and this is based on personal experiences, it's much more underground. Um, what what I tend to get in terms of um, kind of Muslim families is where we, or the school or the nursery, um, start or you know health visitors or people coming in out of the houses. It's, you know, start to suspect either domestic violence or, you know, kind of a lot of the language people would say there's something going on in that house, but we can't quite put our kind of um, finger on it. I have had some cases um, where, you know, um, children from Muslim families, you know, chastisement seems to be the kind of bigger thing in terms of punishment, physical abuse, um, that kind of thing, and quite severe punishment or, you know, kind of relatively minor misdemeanours. Those are the things that come up quite a lot. I would say I've not yet experienced high numbers with this concerns around sexual abuse, but perhaps that in itself is quite worrying because when it's underground, yeah. um, you obviously are much more worried about that because you know, it doesn't mean that we're not identifying it. Is there a problem there and we're not getting to it? And therefore, is there a whole population that we are unable to keep safe? And I'd welcome your thoughts. Um, I mean, my... Because I, I guess I see a lot of people... Um, when they're adults and obviously looking at some of their past traumas that have led to maybe yeah. mental health issues, etc. Yeah. And now, I mean, my sense, and again, you know, I may well be wrong, um, is that we see in the wider society this whole aspect, particularly, but I know abuse is wider, but, you know, childhood sexual abuse, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen, there's now, you know, the child sex scandals, there's thing, the whole Absolutely. Jimmy Savile stuff. There's the whole things in, in BBC and all these institutions yeah. where these things were going on. Um, and you hear about, you know, where paedophiles, etc., get involved, you know, as scout leaders, etc., you know, in, in many of these situations. And I guess we, we're not generalising, but when you're looking at, you know, things that come to our attention. For me, it's... I, I can't see why the Muslim community would be immune to that. Really. So these issues... Um, you, you know, in any community you'll get good people and you'll get bad people that have also okay. got, you know, um, with, you know, devious and deviance of uh, opinions yeah. and, and approaches. And really, if you're thinking about it, you know, you, you find people where they have, they get into professions or jobs that give them access to young children, isn't it? So you become a scout yeah. leader, you become a football coach or, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if it's out of step, you become a madrasa teacher, you become a, you know... Because these, yeah. are, wherever there's populations and access to young children, then these issues. Now, I don't know what your sense of where you perhaps totally disagree with that, or do you think? So, in my personal feeling, I think it's a big, massive issue that's just not come out yet. Absolutely. So, I mean, what again, kind of what research shows us, and what we know is that um, I think if you go to the NSPCC website, um, you know, one of the facts is that ninety percent of um, children, young people know their abuser. So, um, you know, people, I think sometimes people imagine that what happens is, you know, a big man, bad man comes along and something happens, but actually that's not the case. What what usually happens or what often happens is that, um, you know, somebody in a position of trust, somebody who the family trusts, um, you know, will, will spend a long time grooming and kind of um, developing that, you know, um, d- d- developing that. So that you know they're in a position to be able to you know carry out sexual abuse. So if if you that alone would tell us, as you're saying, that you know there is something going on for whatever you know it's, it's possible. Sorry, I should be saying there's something going is going on, but for whatever reason it's not coming through. And I think we probably don't have to look too far to have a look at why perhaps people are not reporting it. There's kind of cultural um, notions of shame and why you wouldn't come forward. You know, um, we know cases where um, families will. Um, for example, if somebody does report, then families will try and 
try and deal with it in house if you like. And um, I think if you look at some of the reports, particularly from down south, um, the, the, what, what they report is there's very few people that report things like rape and sexual abuse. And of those where they are reported, what tends to happen is that people will get to a certain point and people will then withdraw allegations or you know kind of drop the case. So I, I think I would I certainly agree with you on that. There's certainly something out there. There are huge issues, but as I'm saying, you know, it's not being reported officially, or it's not being picked up systemically, you know, by the community. Yeah, and it's interesting, um, as, as you might be aware, um, every show that we um, people can anonymously, you know, submit questions, etc. Um, for last weekend, this weekend. Uh, this topic that we put on um, since this morning has got almost three or four times as many people sharing their views about their own experiences than any other show put together almost. So, you know, it clearly identifies an issue going on. So thank you so much, uh, Sister Sammy, for setting the um, setting the basis, I guess, for some of the discussion. And I thought it would be useful for really from a professional aspect um, to help us understand about what some of these aspects, what we're talking about. We're going to take a short break now. We're going to go for some ads. Um, so remember, you can communicate with us. And when we come back, Sheikh, I'm going to really um, pick up on some of the things that have been raised in your own experiences. And I guess what I'd like to focus on a little bit is um, how do we help people that have gone through these experiences and how do you support people in terms of if these things are going on in their family or they know somebody, you know. Um, so let's talk about really trying to address some of these issues and dealing with the fallout of these Things. So Sister Simon was very helpfully talking a bit about uh, what we mean by some of these aspects of abuse and we were also talking about maybe our, you know, the sense of how big an issue it is. Um, do you have any reflections or thoughts on what we've discussed so far? Um, alhamdulillah, I, I do think um, what Sister Simon is saying is, is true that the uh, you know, it's impossible that our community is immune from this problem. Like any other problem, like you said, we have good people, we have bad people. These things do uh, take place. Like yourself, most of the people I deal with are adults, they're not children. But um, I'm dealing with adults when they're getting to either marriage age or they've got married and now they've got problems. And then when you start to investigate, you can trace it back to some sort of experience of sexual abuse in their childhood um, and you can see the impact it's having on them as adults and I think that's um, that's the key thing for me uh, which is why I think it's an important topic to talk about because um, it does it, it has the propensity to destroy a person's life uh, something that happens so early on they carry it throughout their life and it impacts all the other relationships that they have so it's very important that those people themselves are supported those people have an avenue um, to get out whatever's in their system and also to prevent this from happening. If it happened to, I mean, these people are coming to me and it's obviously happened to them 20 years ago, then why would we not think that it's not happening today? Uh, and it's quite, it can be quite uh, complex. Um, there was, I remember there was one sister who um, emailed me, and this is many years ago, and it was abuse. She wasn't actually abused here in the UK. It was when she went to uh, Pakistan abroad, and she was abused by a relative over there. And it was basically just manipulation. And that's what happens. It's a situation where uh, a person gets manipulated because, uh, although we're talking about under 18s, I've even dealt with adults, people that are over 18 who have been manipulated um, into into acts that they didn't really want to get involved in. So it's a it's that thing of power, that thing of, like, she was talking about trust. And I think, I remember years ago, I did a, um, some a training with Rape Crisis, and, uh, and one of the things I learned from that was, it was talking about um, paedophiles, that um, it's they will they will go for any child they can access or they can get hold of. And obviously the most, most readily available children to them are relatives, people they already know. And this is the thing that, People think, well, if we move these people away, we move them to another place, it gets rid of the problem. It doesn't, it just shifts it. And one of the girls I actually dealt with was from another city um, and it was affecting her, her married life, but the husband was aware of it, so he was a bit more accommodating of uh, what she was um, doing. It was kind of un un-Islamic be um, behaviour, but we traced it back to when she was 10 and she was, um, there was sexual abuse from a Quran teacher. And she said to me what happened was when 
you know, the, the moss found out, they just moved him to another city. So, you know, you just moved this person to another place. There's been no justice, nothing. Once he gets an opportunity, he'll just do it again. And that's the, I think that's the problem that we as a community don't understand how this works. We don't, so therefore we don't know how to deal with it. When it happens, we don't know what, okay, well, how do we deal with this problem now? It's interesting you say that. I, I know, you know, it's a total separate case was very much the same of a young sister that was um, you know, inappropriately touched by her, the imam or the teacher. And when the mosque authorities became aware, they moved him to a different place. Now, I mean, what is the sense of, I mean, where's the responsibility with the people that have made this decision? So we're talking about whether... Now, obviously, we're not saying all mosques are like this and it's not happening, so obviously we're not generalising, but where it does happen, the people that then say, OK, we're going to, rather than reporting it to the police, dealing with it, supporting this young person, let's move this person to another city. I mean, are they, are they sinful? I mean, is this... I mean, are they also coming to that category of being part of that oppression? Because yeah. all they've done is just displace that issue to a different yes, town are. and city. Yeah, the short answer is yes, they, they are uh, responsible um, because they had an opportunity to do something about it and they've uh, they've contributed, if they've contributed to abuse in any way then there'll be some of that blame and responsibility and accountability in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but we will be with them. Um, if they don't know how to deal with it then speak to people who do deal with it um, get your get your staff trained up, find out, understand more. The more you, you understand about these things, the better or better decisions you'll make. If you don't understand these things, you just use your own mind. Oh no, it's, it's, you know we don't know this, we don't know that. End of the day, I mean, I remember this 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 um, brother who was abused as an adult, and um, I just encouraged him to to um, report it to the police, and he did report it, and um, the guy was taken in for questioning. Um, and nothing happened. But I, just, I said to him, I said, look, uh, don't worry about it. You've done the right thing. Because when I spoke to the police about it, it as a Muslim, speak, Muslim officer I spoke to, he said, look, it's been noted. So if if, this, if, there's, an, if there's another complaint and there's another complaint, then accumulative uh, evidence, then they can do something about it. So it means that, OK, the person knows, OK, you know that he can't just do things and get away with it, because if you allow people to get away with things, they'll just they'll keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing they'll it. They'll have access to other children as well, then, isn't it? They'll have they'll have access to a, a whole load of children, which is why it's a good thing now for all organisations where the children are being taught um, that uh, there's what's called disclosure Scotland now. Um, you know, you get your staff disclosure checked so that. You know, if there's any anyone who's got a history, will get flagged up, and we have to be very careful of how we do run our institutes. Um, obviously, we have after-school madrasas where lots of children are getting taught. Um, are these are the people that we employ? Are they disclosure checked? Uh, people are coming. Adults are coming in and out of mosques. They can easily have access to these children. Um, people do. You know, that are on the sex register. They do go back into this uh, into community, um, and you know you have to aware we have to aware, be aware that the risks and dangers do exist. So we need to be as responsible as possible uh, when we're running our own organisations, and not just think everything will be okay, everything will be fine. You have to have uh, policies and procedures in, in place. And what, what I mean when um, these things happen, uh, and particularly with anyone associated with religion etc you know one one of the people that have contacted us um gives us anecdote it says i remember as a kid going to some auntie's house to learn quran i would get hit but not just me other kids too um on one occasion she got a wooden smooth and uh, spoon and smacked it on her backs i uh, didn't like going there neither did my sister stuff like this has the potential to push kids away from islam of course it is. make them hate the religion to this day i still think about it and it makes me angry to some extent. In my household, sometimes reading the Quran was like a punishment, and my mom would get angry over my reaction. Stuff like this must go. I'm sorry to say, but don't complain if your kids don't practice Islam. If you've been beating them up over religion for X amount of years, so you know, I guess it's that. You know, how do we then deal with that issue? So somebody has had this very negative experience, this almost traumatic experience with Islam, with Quran, with religion, with an Imam or a teacher or auntie. 
and undoubtedly they they may well reach a point with questioning their faith and say actually what sort of religion is this where where do I fit you know, what, what where's belief what has it given me yeah. and so how would we address that um, feeling that people you know understandably would have because they're very emotional and traumatized by this and their relationship with God which is why it's um, uh, very important that we try to give people positive experiences with religion and there's an, another reason why we can't judge anyone so if somebody's not practicing we automatically you shouldn't automatically think they're a bad muslim or whatever because you don't know what experience they've had you don't know what's made them like that when you start speaking to people you start to understand oh actually they've been through a rot and, and the thing is maybe if we had been through that experience maybe we would be behaving similarly um so i mean there's a, there's a, a new series that i've started on uh Facebook and, and YouTube called The Good Life. It's just very short videos uh, I've been putting out. And the reason I called it The Good Life, and, and if you look at the content, um, it's it, I was looking at you know a lot of the, the, the rhetoric, a lot of the things that are put out, and, and a, a lot of it is fear God, um, you know, if you do this, there's this punishment. It's very kind of um, one-sided towards, like, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell, you're a bad Muslim, and so on. And I wanted to... There's so much in our tradition which is about positivity, which is about that Allah is merciful, that um, there's a lot of hope. And I wanted to put a positive, something positive out. So all those videos are uh, putting a positive spin. That look, you know, our deen is something positive. It's, it, there's this place for everyone. The second video that I re- released was called The Fear Factor. And uh, the message was very simple. And I said that a lot of the times, the way we were taught, um, Islam as children, it was with the the fear of being hit. So there was a fear. So you're taught through fear. So what happens is as you get older, as soon as you as soon as you're old enough not to be able not to go to those classes, you'll stop. You use any excuse. I've got my exams. I've got this. I've got that. Any excuse not to go, because you don't want to be there. But if we um, if, our, if our onus was not on fear, was on love. If you put love into a child's heart, that he loves to be in that class, he loves it. He loves the experience. He loves the Quran. He loves God. He loves the Prophet. He loves the religion. Then the person automatically wants to do it. So uh, too much of our time, um, our we have from a child, our our child experience has been um, one of a negative association with religion, which is why so many people then get put off. And what we need to do is make a positive association um, with the faith. And if that's happened to somebody, just be a bit more gentle with them, be a bit more accommodating, don't judge them, um, and just uh, encourage them in, in a nice way. Be a bit more merciful, a bit more compassionate, and once they start, once they start seeing a different perspective, I was talking to someone in Edinburgh, and um, that that actual brother um, got in the car with me. I was taking take him back to his house, and he, he, was, he was just saying, "I want to thank you." I said, "Would you want to thank me?" He goes, "Because he goes for many years, I've um, I've been away from from Islam, but once I started to listen to, he did Umrah with me, and he goes, once it was in Umrah, I got to know you, and just." What you were saying, I've never heard it before. I've always heard really negative things, but um, you were just talking about, you know, more kind of uh, the Prophet was like this, loving the Prophet and and having a connection with him. And it just, it's just changed my perspective. And he was just saying there's a, it's too much negativity out there. So, what, Sheikh, what would you say to somebody who's had this experience, perhaps they're an adult now, and maybe they've learnt of ways of dealing with it or suppressing it but many years ago maybe they had experienced some form of abuse to these two questions why me why did this happen to me and second question is will i ever get justice for the person that did this yeah um so the first thing is that uh, why me um allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests people in many ways um if we turn on our screens we look at what's happening in syria and there's, a, I mean, there's a clip I saw the other day. A man's 20, 22 people from his family have been gassed, and he was crying. And um, you know, I, I mean, you can just imagine what it's like to have gone through that. So, you know, there are people who go through very horrible, very horrific things, um, not necessarily because of anything they've they've done, but this is a, a test uh, from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and we. We take a lot of solace from the Quran itself. If you look at the Quran, it's full of stories of the prophets. If you look at all these prophets, and these were the most beloved of people to God, not a single one of them had an easy life. They all had 
difficult lives. Look at in Nuh Ali Salam, 950 years of, of calling people, people rejecting him, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu himself. Um, you know, there's a hadith where he said that nobody was tested like I was tested. Um, he talks about, you know, the, the year of sorrow and Khatija passes away. Um, his uncle passed away. He gets stoned out of Ta'if. So many difficulties. And what we take from that is that this person was beloved to God, but he went through all that. Um, all, all that suffering But the response was That he always turned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And if we're patient There's a hadith that says The fear of the believer is always good That's one of my favourite hadiths um, Strange is the fear of the believer and, and basically it says that When something bad happens he's patient And that's good for him And when something good happens he's thankful And that's good for him because when you're patient at adversity, then you're getting rewarded for that. And all the difficulty, all the hardship that you're going through your life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is um, wiping away your sins in this world because of that. So there's, 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 there is fine justice, there's divine justice going on. And one of the things, the second part of your question, one of the things I always think, um, um, this, is a, this is a thing about our faith, is it gives you a mechanism to deal with and cope with things. Um, because if you're, uh, say, being abused and, um, say, the person's passed away now, you can't get any justice. You feel that the person got away with it. And you, that that rage will live inside you unless you know how to deal with it or let it go. But with our faith, as if you don't believe there's, there's any life to come, but with us, we know that this is not the being and end all. This life is not the being and end all. There is a life to come after this. And in the next life to come, everybody will get recompensed. Um, there is accountability. So a person may get away with it in this world, but they will not get away with it in the in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think that is uh, such a uh, an important mechanism because if you don't have that, and say you've been imprisoned for thirty years innocently, then you've got nothing. You've got nothing to get, you know, to come back with. Whereas if you can say, well, okay, I will get recompense in the in the life to come. So, Sister Sammy, I'd like to bring you in. Um, there's a comment here from one of the listeners, and um, they linked it into yesterday's show, which we had talk about forced marriage, domestic abuse. Can you hear us, Sister Samia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so this, I think it's a sister. So she said. Um, the last night show has rung a chord with me as my father was physically abusive to me during my teenage years as I refused to marry random Rishta proposal that came from Pakistan. The worst thing he did was throw a small TV at me. With the help of Allah, I stood my ground for around three years when no family member spoke to me. I ha- did have an arranged marriage in the end, but it was with a good good Rishta I agreed to. With Allah's mercy, I've been happily married to my soulmate for 11 years. However, to cope with emotional and physical abuse growing up since I was 13 by both parents, I developed a coping strategy by using food to, to control my emotions. It was the outlet for stress. I developed bulimia and binge eating disorder. I'm now in my 30s, still have these issues around. I've had um, cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, my problem is so deep-rooted, I find it impossible not to turn to food when even mildly anxious. Um, and she goes on to talk about, you know, so if these whole experiences affected her even now. So can you tell us a bit about people that have experienced trauma um, in, in their childhood? Um, what sort of consequences are there? What sort of difficulty does that lead to? And I guess it alludes to okay. perhaps what some, some of what this sister has mentioned. Okay. So um, often when we talk about trauma, um, you know, sometimes you know, people tend to think of, um, things like a one-off trauma, you know, where um, you know perhaps you were out and about and you were assaulted, or um, these kind of you know these kind of unexpected ones that you know you were in the wrong space at the wrong time, and um, you know um, it was somebody unknown to you. Enough uh, without sounding at all dismissive of these kind of incidents. From a therapeutic point of view, they are slightly easier to deal with because you can do a lot of work around, you know, how did that happen? There's a lot less um, internal blame, um, I suppose, that you can attribute to that. Um, The kind of abuse that um, the sister uh, who you were just mentioning there was talking about, that's much more difficult because what you're getting happens again, again and again and again and again. And over time, that that has a devastating impact um, um, compared to, see a one-off one. And that, again, as I say, if anyone's experienced a one-off trauma, I don't want to be in any way dismissive about that. 
the problem then when you kind of um, consist, uh, kind of continually sorry, experiencing these traumas is it becomes much more deep-rooted and it's more difficult to undo because particularly the time period that the sister is talking about is a time when you as a teenager are developing quite a lot happens cognitively your sense of self, who you are, where you're going, all of that, you know, all that stuff that happens in the later teenager years, that's the point she experienced um, a lot of abuse. Um, so the, the unfortunate thing is it is really difficult to do, deal with, um, and, and it sounds like the sisters also taken um, a lot of steps to deal with it. Um, what, what it requires is a huge amount of um, reflection, um, and kind of going back to that question you kind of you asked right, uh, to Sheikh Hammer there right at the beginning about why me. We spend quite a lot of time talking, you know, because as I say, you know, people who've experienced abuse will say, you know, it's because I'm like this, it's because I'm weak, it's because I didn't stand up, and so on. And it takes us a huge amount of time, a phenomenal amount of time try and undo that um, and one of the things that we tend to do is just chip 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 away at that so what I mean by that is you know we would do a lot of work around well you know was it your fault you know you know can you think of a time where you know x y and z can you, you know was this person like this with other people so just kind of trying to get you know you know the the person who's on the receiving end of the abuse to see that actually it wasn't really about them this is this is about this person who is an abuser and they are fully responsible for their actions. But it's quite easy for me to say that on the airwaves. I think for someone to have experienced abuse, um, it's, it's a very different matter altogether, and I think it can be very difficult to unpick. Many of these issues are just such a dire provision within the Muslim community to deal with these issues, you know. Um, and I know that it's, it's a bit of your bugbear and you talk a lot about it, but it's... It's very frustrating when, you know, we, we're getting all these messages, you know, other sisters uh, and brothers contacting us. You know, there's simply not enough support groups for Muslim girls to talk through their issues such as sexual abuse. Um, you know, we need more uh, support in providing our young Muslim sisters with more and more youth clubs, social places and role models. Because I guess sometimes it's these scenarios where people will speak to, you know, uh, like a badgy or, a, you know, or a... Uh, role model or somebody that's not necessarily a parent or authority, but they might just open up to somebody. And that's really, really worrying and frustrating because the community, you know, in, they'll have to deal with that at some point. And it just seems to be, it's better to be proactive than wait till there's some major, major scandal or major fallout. And then, you know, the community will be a reaction. And so okay, now we need to solve the problem. And, and you... you you, because through your work through Unity and other aspects, people obviously come to you, you get a lot of this. So it's only, I guess, if you're exposed to these sort of issues, does it? Bec- do you realise how big a tidal wave and tsunami it is? And um, I don't know what your thoughts are around that. I think it's quite easy to just live in the Muslim community. And <clears throat> like, if you're, like you said, you're not involved in this work, you are. Uh, Sister Saima as I am If you're involved in it you, you, you know that's going on But for your average person Just going to 95 job Whatever he's doing They're doing They just read the news And so on so If a scandal comes out Oh it happens If it doesn't They just kind of uh, Not really Not really knowing What's what's happening And in, in amongst The community um, However Like you said uh, You know Why do we always have to wait Until there's a scandal Why do we always have to wait Until something happens Before we jump up and realise it's almost as if sometimes we, we we need somebody to slap us in the face before we do anything and I mean what's happened in uh, the churches should be a wake up call for everyone you know and the scandals that have happened that could easily happen in the Muslim community so um, I think we have to be proactive not just from that perspective um, but th- like I said to you before the fact that one person is abused um, is 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 not good enough. I mean, it's our responsibility, and, and I mentioned this point yesterday as well, that we go on about um, Muslims who are harmed all over the world and they're oppressed, and we need to help our brothers and sisters. and And I always think, yeah, absolutely, and that's that's true. But why do we uh, need to go so far abroad when there's people in our own communities who, whether you see them or not? They are in difficult situations, but we're not really uh, we're not we're completely kind of oblivious to to them. Um, and from from our from my perspective anyway, um, you know, I've uh, I've given support to to people who've had these experiences. I remember one sister came to me; she was getting nearer to getting married. She was getting very apprehensive about 
how she's going to be intimate with her husband and so on. And she gave me what happened to her and she did actually have the courage to speak out. And I went to court, but um, the, like I said, the perpetrator in, in brackets got away with it, or inverted commas, got away with it. And I said, look, you know, yes, he may have got away with it in uh, in this world, but he will not get away with it in the next world. And she said what happened was the, fa- the family had turned against her and said, look, you've brought shame on us. And I said, no, the, sh- the person who's brought the shame is the abuser. Mm-hmm. And we have to be very, very careful. And I had to say, look, it doesn't matter if 50 people are telling you that you brought the, the, the family in shame. I am telling you that you have not brought any shame. It's not, your fault. it's not your fault. It's not your fault. So um, I, I had to say it a few times, but it was, I was amazed that just that little acknowledgement and little bit of support mm. gave her so much strength and made her feel so much better. That's not my fault. And I've got a scholar here telling me, you know, you uh, the right thing. I've done the right thing. Allah's not like, you know, displeased with me. I respect what everyone else is saying to her. And I said, look, you know, end the day, uh, you're the victim in this. And I'm 100% here behind you, and I think that's what the uh, that's what uh, um, people need to hear. They need to hear that there's somebody there that cares, is, that's that's supporting them, and is ready to fight their their corner for them. And in terms of addressing this issue, Sheikh, I mean, I think the reality, if when you look at any of these initiatives and people do something, it really just takes one or two people to take the lead. Because I think that you know, often you can get so much support. Because I guess to address this issue, there's going to be issues to do with you know lawyers and legal side of things. You know, in terms of if you've been abused and supporting you, there'll be that you know aspects from the psychological and the counselling and the emotional damage. There might be things about advocacy and dealing with these issues, and uh, you know even accessing you know building your life again and you know dealing with so many of the issues. So. This, I think, humbly, our community has got a lot of these talents, and perhaps it just needs one or two people just to make that first step to, you know, to start pulling some of these people. Because I think, like yourself, there's a lot of goodwill. You know, even yourself. You know, I know the issues are you, you're so busy, but you're always welcome. You're always uh, willing to give support and guidance to whatever initiatives. It's not, you know, it's unfair to expect you to solve the community's issues all on your own. You know, but you you're there as a resource, and I think maybe if you know, that's the way the community needs to go rather than relying if you know if the institutions aren't doing it maybe it's going to be people and the perhaps the most powerful advocates are the ones that have had these sort of experiences you know yeah a lot of these if you look at a lot of charities uh, you know you see that a person's been through a certain uh, traumatic experience the child died of a certain disease and they become passionate about it and then they want to help other people so they go off and they set up a charity. So there's so many people like that who are touched by something and they become passionate about something and decide they're going to do something about it. So I think if, if people did take this on board and decide, I want to do so and remember, um, this is um, your this is your this is your khidma, this is your service to the community. This is um, you know uh, something that you're going to you're, you're, you're going to have in front of you when you meet Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And he asks you, "What did you do with your life?" You know, I stood up for the helpless. Look at the Prophet How much encouragement does the 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 Sunnah teaches about being there for the poor, being there for the the needy, being there for the people who don't have anyone else? The Prophet was always there for those people. It's, it's falling in that Sunnah, and it can be sometimes that just by you um, helping that one person um, may bring you spiritually so much closer to God than any other action, your Quran, your Salah, all these other things, haven't done that. And this is something that we all have to think that, you know, we have, we've we got one life to live and we want to leave this world thinking, I've done my bit to make this world a better place. Uh, what have I done? It's not, it's not enough just to, I mean, I know our parents... Uh, came here to give us a better life and, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them all and they've done a fantastic job and you know our this generation a lot of them are educated they are have got professional jobs but your purpose in life is not just to get a job uh, and have a good life and have a big house and have a big car and eat and sleep and drink and go to sleep and procreate that's not that's not that shouldn't be your being an end of your existence you should have some a greater call than that something that you want to really do something for the ummah um, and that's not just for Muslims, for non-Muslims as well. You know, if we're if we're going to show people that this deen is for everybody, which it is, then we have to show that compassion to all of members of society. And then you see, if people start doing that, then you'll see how much positive da'wah is done. But 
um, let alone forget the non-Muslim community. We can't even look after our own community, mm. um, and it's it's you know all our discussions shouldn't just be about which day Eid is, or this Ramadan table, or that Ramadan table. Yes, these are all issues. I'm not saying they're not issues. They are issues. But I think um, far too much time gets spent uh, and far too much of our resources go on these issues, whereas all these other issues that I feel I'm I'm coming across, you're coming across, we've had these discussions before. Where is this? Where is the, the, the discussion on these issues? How many khutbahs have we heard on this topic? Um, how much uh, how much um, uh, programmes have we seen? How many conferences have we seen? I've not seen very many. Um, there has been a few, but I've not seen very many. So somebody needs to take the lead. Somebody needs to say, right, I'm going to do something about it. And you're very right. All it takes is one person. You'll find a lot of people come out to support, but they're, they, they sometimes wait for somebody to start something and then you, inshallah, see um, stuff happening. So this is just another a- area. There's so many other areas that we have to be serious as a community and say, yep, I mean, one of the other questions I know you've got here is, you know, what um, resources have we got available for people who have experienced this? And um, and, and and it's sad to say not very many. Mm. That's, a, that's a sad... Um, I say that with a lot of sadness in my heart. I'm talking about from the Muslim community. Yeah. Um, but, Sister, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I was just wondering if I could just kind of um, go back to your question a wee bit. I think you were having, you were saying, yeah, we were having a discussion during the break around how well equipped we are as a community and and I think some of the services and some of the issues that you're referring Sheikhan was referring to obviously require specialist input but I actually think there's kind of strategic stuff that we can be doing as a community and that's things like even for example um, looking at the language I think a lot of our community wouldn't even have the language um, in terms of speaking to your children about safe touching when it's you know we use words like you know um, you know like I'd say you know cover up your shamey shame your show. All of that kind of um, language around your body, your understanding of your body, all starts quite early on. Um, and I think as a community, and, and, and kind of what Sheikh Hamra was saying, there was you know community leaders, is, is to be having those discussions around what language do we use, how do we teach our children to be safe. Um, you know, our religious leaders, our adults, there's a hierarchy within you know the Muslim community that affords a lot of respect. But you know, saying, well, actually, you know. We respect people, but if there comes a point when you're uncomfortable and somebody is making you do something uncomfortable, here is how you would speak out, which is essentially what our schools, you know, what, what the curriculum that is being delivered in school, that's what it's all about. And I know some people are kind of anti-sex education, but in the early primary, you know, they're not actually teaching children about sex. What they're ta- talking to them about is privacy, being comfortable with your own body. You know, you know, you know. I, I've got a year-old, and I'll say to him, you know, it's okay for you know, mummy to change you, and I'm trying to get that into him now. And being comfortable about talking about our bodies and when it's appropriate, when it's not appropriate. And I think then the next level that comes within that is then kind of community understanding around things like rape, around, you know, how does that happen, around sexual violence. And I think being completely comfortable in talking about those things is actually the first step because you can put in, I mean, you know, there's lots of kind of third, what we would describe as third sector or voluntary organisations out there that do kind of specialist services and so on. But I think there's a massive step before that, which we as a community need to take on Um, and once you raise everyone's awareness once you've got kind of good strategies in place then the kind of you know then what you've got is special services that then deal with kind of you know people who've experienced sexual abuse but i think there's a massive bit missing just now um, and i think we need to look strategically at what's going on there in order to prevent it happening further because you you really need a systematic and a long-term approach it's not like a a bit here and there it needs to be almost the bread and butter of what's available yeah. And, and that's what I'd like to do in the last 10 minutes of the show, um, both yourself, Sister Sami, and Sheikh Arma, I guess, is, yeah. is dealing with uh, people that have had these experiences. So where do they go? How do they cope with it? Um, yeah. So uh, we've got somebody who's contacted us, and perhaps this we can use this as a case example of then what should they do about it. So somebody's um, contacted saying, I was physically assaulted by my parents as a teenager, which is a one-off incident. However, that didn't stop any nasty comments. A few years later, after moving out for uni, I suppressed it all. Now, having completed my studies, every time they ask me to move back home with them, I have flashbacks. Should I bring this up with them, or is it best left brush under the carpet? Should I, should I be telling them to repent to Allah, even though they believe what they did is right back then? 
So, you know, as you know, the difficulties often in these grey areas, really, how do you cope with it, what, you know, balancing up. So, Sister Samia, yourself, initially, any initial thoughts in terms of, I know we don't know the whole case, but this aspect of, I guess, having um, this experience and that's now affecting, you know, going back, what, what would you advise uh, this person? I think certainly the fact that it stayed with this, I mean, it's obviously stayed with the sister long enough that it's impacting on her thinking about moving back home. So um, I think the psychologist would be saying you never brush anything under the carpet. Um, I, I think she needs to find some sort of way to deal with that and whether that's talking to someone else, talking to someone professionally, um, you know, and, and then seeing, you know, if, if that was a while ago, and as you're saying, you know, it might be that parents don't see that she's done anything wrong, but it might be that she can get across how it's made her feel. They might not change their position, but I think that I would certainly be advising the sister to kind of certainly speak to someone or seek help because it's obviously had enough yeah. of an impact that after all these years, you know, she, she's still uh, still kind of um, yeah. impacting on, on what she might do further. And on a practical level, if you're in Glasgow, I mean, where, where, yeah. where could the... I'd, I'd, I'm not sure if it's a brother or a sister, but where... Could they go? Who should they be contacting? What sort of agencies or services are there? What should they be googling? Really, if they, you know, where's the first step? Who do they go to? So um, again, a, a lot of um, kind of my, my work is obviously for the young, young, younger children and kind of younger adults. So we link in quite a lot with kind of places like Bernardo. There's the NSPCC. Um, you've got various kind of help signs that we would we, we would say to children to ask to call up. Um, but my understanding is that there are kind of various um, services out there within Glasgow as well. Um, you know that offer kind of counselling services. I think into adult services. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I, I I'm not sure that many of them are specific to the Muslim community. I think what you might be accessing is kind of generic uh, kind of um, helplines and so on. But what I have found quite good if you contact these helplines is if you outline the profile and say, you know, you know, somebody from uh, you know a Muslim community background, they can often be quite good at the networking bit and putting you in touch with someone else who might have experienced the same thing um, or kind of other agencies that they feel are better place to help. Um, so sometimes even going to the GP is a first step, isn't it? And discussing, yeah. often they're very linked in with, because as yeah. you said, I think the services are, there's things called primary care mental health teams, you know, in South Glasgow, yeah. something called Wellbeing Glasgow, you know, that. Yeah. so I guess it depends on where you are in Glasgow. Sheikh, the, on yeah. this aspect, there's also, um, the, the listener was asking about, I guess, the Islamic thing about, should I be asking them to repent to Allah? How do I deal with this when the parent has done that to me? Is there any advice you would give from the spiritual side in terms of how they should deal with this issue? And I guess you don't, on the one side, you don't really want to cut these ties because they're still your family, but there's clearly things that have happened that make, you know, that have affected that relationship. Yeah, um, obviously the person's now an adult. Um, and I would echo what uh, Sister Simon was saying that um, if, it's, if, it's, if it's like that, if they're having flashbacks and they're really that uncomfortable, they should get help for themselves, for their own well-being. But um, it again, without knowing all the details, th- I think they should raise it with their parents and, and say, look, um, I disagree with the, you know, the way you uh, treated me or, and, and, and just explain to them the impact it's had on them because they might not be compl- they might not be aware and there could be other siblings as well that they're using the same parenting techniques with. So um, if, if, if no one flags anything up, they will not um, do anything differently. Um, they may still not do anything differently, but at least you've done your bit. You've done as much as you can in your power to um, highlight to them that this doesn't work. This is how it's impacted me, and um, you know this is uh, is, is is wrong. What, what, in my opinion, is wrong. They may disagree with you, but you you have to still state, make your stance um, uh, clear. And I think this is a thing that. Um, like I was talking about yesterday, that obedience to parents is not absolute. And we have the sharia that we judge everything by. If something is permissible in the sharia, it's different. If it's impermissible in the sharia, we have to state that. No, I'm sorry, but this is not permitted. We still do it in a respectful way. Yeah, yeah in a, a respe- cool head. Yeah, right? yeah, in a respectful way, but just make that stance very, very clear. Mm. Um, because you just, you never know what, what uh, affects a person, what makes them think. I mean, if they they may not say anything from you, but they may maybe they may think, did we do something wrong here? You know, maybe were we were we excessive or whatever. You know, so there's that hope that they might, inshallah, change. And another listener, Sheikh, um, 
has asked, you know, the people that are going through these difficult times, is there any special du'as or wazifas that people who are being victimised and abused can access or refer to? So is there general ones or any specific ones, I guess, to help people? Because I guess for many of these people, they feel quite lonely, you know, in terms of these sort of issues, and they've perhaps never told anyone in their life, they've kept it to themselves, and perhaps between them and Allah, they're... You know, that's who they're talking to. But I guess, is there certain things that could help them deal with these issues that they've had? Um, uh, so there's, there's certain uh, du'as that a person can, can use when they're um, in difficult times. There's something called du'a al-karb, which is... Um, you can just Google it and it'll come up. Du'a al-karb. Spelling in English film. Uh, K-A-R-B or K-A-R-B K-A-R-B La 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 Um But if you just Google it You'll find it um, Praying on the Prophet Sallam Profusely um, is, is very good for alleviating a heavy heart um, Some scholars are, uh, say that uh, Surah number 94 Which is Alam nashrah laka sadarak After Salah If you put your right hand on your heart and read that surah that also alleviates um, a, a heavy heart. Um, doing a lot of istighfar, there's a hadith that says, whoever does um, a lot of istighfar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes uh, a way out for them. So if they have any problem in their life, if they do a lot of istighfar, inshallah it's a means for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making a, a way out for them, uh, for whatever's concerning them. And lastly, something that um, I mentioned in one of the other shows, I think, I can't remember which show it was now, but um, w- one thing that I came across, somebody uh, told me that they used to do uh, in their times of darkness or times of difficulties was writing letters to, to Allah. Uh, and I, and, I, th- and I, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Nice idea yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've actually kept them. They've actually kept those letters. So they actually wrote letters to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, conversing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, and has kept uh, those letters all throughout the years. So that... Um, Turning to to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, having an intimate conversation with him, even if it's not letters, I mean, in the middle of the night, you, you just want to speak, just speak. Mm. He's there, he's listening. It's the sincerity, isn't it? It's, it's what's from the heart, really, in whatever language, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that. you know, whatever way you want to do, you want to write a letter, um, you want to just talk to him out loud, you want to just talk to him in your heart, however way you want to do it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is 24 hours, 7 days a week, unlike human beings, doesn't get tired of listening to your problems. You know, somebody wakes you up at three in the morning and starts having a conversation on the phone, you're not going to be too excited about it. Whereas we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to hear from people, especially in the last third of the night. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always there. He always will be there. He always was there. So it's having that knowledge that, you know, even if nobody's with me, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still that constant factor in my life. And Sister Sam, you just, uh, as we're closing the show, any final words... Um, that you would be giving um, to people that have, you know, have experienced or are experiencing some of these really difficult issues? What advice would you give from your experience? Um, I think if, if um, the main kind of thing that I suppose the theme that's emerged from the discussions we've had is, um, you know, where a lot of this, um, you know, either sexual or otherwise abuse has happened is either underground or people are not comfortable speaking about it or don't feel there's a forum out there um, in terms of speaking about it. And my advice really would be is that I think we need to get it out in the open. Um, it's a difficult step, it's a hard step, but I think we need people to come forward so that we can identify if there is an issue there, what kind of issue is it? And I think as a community, look at what's going on and look at, you know, kind of our you know, religious leaders and kind of other leaders that are in the community to be able to take it on. Um, because I think, kind of echoing right back to what you said at the beginning of the show, um, I think our gut feeling is that we do have an issue out there. It's just that it's not coming to the forefront um, unless, you know, you're in one of these specialist services um, and that's really the only way we can take it on and I think the second bit, my final point would be that I think as a community um, we really need to be kind of brushing up getting comfortable with, getting familiar with um, and having a look strategically at what's missing and how do we really prevent further abuse from going on because as you say, if there are people coming if you've had more response to this show than any other um, that's already identifying that we've got an issue out there 
Zaklak here, Sister Sammy, I really appreciate your time um, as an educational psychologist to uh, really shed some light onto this really difficult topic. You know, we'll give, give you a lot of strength and guidance and carrying on a lot of the good work that you're doing. So, Jazakallah khair. Thank you. any final words from yourself before we close for the evening? I think uh, it's um, our our duty uh, uh, as a as an ummah. You know, when we talk about we're an ummah and uh, we we roll out that hadith about um, we're one body, and if you know we've heard it so many times, and if one part of the body feels the pain, everyone feels the pain. Um, I mean, we roll it out everywhere. Do, do but the question is, do we really feel? The pain. Do we feel? Do we feel other people's pain? I know the Prophet Sallallahu did. Um, I know when I read about the uh, Sahaba, how they how they would go out their way for other people. Um, and this is what we have to realize that our Deen, yes, there's an element of reading uh, Quran, doing Adhkar, doing Salah. These are all parts of things. And we are doing it in Ramadan. We're fasting. We're praying Tarawih prayers and all these things. But um, coming to the aid of other people, helping other people, just being taking your taking time out, um, stretching the hand out to another person, alleviating another person's difficulties. The hadith that says, whoever alleviates the, uh, another person's difficulty, Allah subhanahu wa taala alleviates their difficulty. So by helping other people, you actually bring help into your own life. Um, and actually says whoever covers a, a person in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cover them in the hereafter. So um, I think just expanding our understanding of what Islam is and what our deen is. Um, and it's, I think it's underestimated the just serving other people, uh, you know, just going out your way, sacrificing your time and energy to let make another person's life better. Uh, it's got a massive rank with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's the, that's the type of people we should inshallah try to become. Thank you so much, Sheikh, again for your time, but hopefully people will be benefiting from this. So really, uh, we've run out of time tonight, but hopefully if you are facing some of these issues, perhaps it gives you a bit of confidence to, to perhaps address the issue, get the right help that you need. And inshallah, the help is out there. Jazakallah khair. So you've been listening to Cradle to the Grave with Sheikh Ahmed Jamil, and we'll be back next weekend. The topics... Keep an eye out on our Facebook page, but we're going to be really talking about the next stage in life, which is really talking about elderly, you know, old age and the elderly. So we'll be discussing about issues, I guess, the rights and responsibilities of, you know, parents and elderly people looking after them. Perhaps topics such as end-of-life care, very difficult, challenging uh, topics, palliative care, terminal illnesses, and a lot of these really difficult issues. So hopefully this will again shed some light onto these issues that are affecting us as a community. So Jazakallah khair once again for joining us. We wish you all the best, and until next week, Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.